covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Another week's worth of Brewers talk. Certainly an interesting week this past week as the Brewers have Technically, a new general manager. We'll get into that coming up in just a few moments. Also, the Brewers uh, sub, uh, protecting some players, placing them on the 40-man roster uh, in order to make sure that they cannot be selected by another major league organization in the Rule 5 draft. Our featured conversation this week is with Kyle Loebner. We've had Kyle on a number of times here on the podcast. You can, of course, uh, read him in the Shepherd Express. You can also read him uh, in the Milwaukee Record, and you can read him on the Timber Rattlers website in addition to uh, checking out his This Day in Brewers History Patreon, which is a very, very cool thing. So Kyle's going to be joining us in just a little bit. As always, our housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you do want to contact me, best way to do so is on Twitter. Find me at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that would be very much appreciated. All right, let's get to it. Uh, This past week, the Brewers making the announcement that they had elevated assistant general manager Matt Arnold to general manager and also given him a senior vice president title. In, In most cases, if you have a new general manager, that's a big deal. And in no way am I trying to downplay the impact that Matt Arnold has had on the Brewers organization because he's he's had a very big impact and he and David Stearns have worked shoulder to shoulder uh, and have done a really nice job if we're and I'm not saying anything that they're not saying they, they essentially said this in the media availability in terms of day-to-day operations of the club not a whole lot is changing uh, he is given the title that more closely mimics what other people around baseball who have that title, what their job responsibilities include. Baseball has changed where really most teams, I don't know the exact number, but many teams, most teams, a good number of teams, whatever it might be, they've added a layer where there is a president of baseball operations and then there is a general manager below the president of baseball operations. So historically where the general manager has had the final say on most baseball decisions. Now in the Brewers organization and many organizations throughout baseball, the president of baseball operations has that final say and the general manager is slotted in below him. What 10 years ago, 15 years ago would have been the same responsibilities held by the general manager and the, then the assistant general manager. So not a whole lot changes and baseball is not the only sport where this is going on in basketball. You, you, you have general managers reporting to director of basketball operations and football. You have general managers reporting to director of football operations. So baseball is not the only sport where this model of front office hierarchy exists. The Brewers had really not been going with it as David Stearns was the general manager. Then he got the title edition of president of baseball operations and general manager. And now he is no longer the general manager. That part of the title goes away from him and it goes to Matt Arnold instead. At least for now, they are not going to be hiring a new assistant general manager at some point in the future. That is something that the organization might move forward with. I, I'm always careful when I when I say things like 
what I'm about to say because I don't want to discount Matt Arnold's contributions to the Brewers, and I don't want this to be construed as me saying he's not deserving of the title because he absolutely is. It was a long time coming. Again, he was doing the he had the responsibilities of somebody with that title based off that hierarchy structure that exists across many Major League Baseball teams. But in some ways, in many ways, uh, what this does for the Brewers is it helps protect an asset. Matt Arnold is an asset. Matt Arnold is somebody who helps you win baseball games. And he was interviewing for general manager jobs. He interviewed for the Angels general manager position. He had interviewed for other general manager jobs. And it was only a matter of time until he was going to get a general manager job. So now he has the Brewers general manager job, and that probably secures him with the Brewers organization at least for a little while longer. Because now if it's a situation where he's, uh, where if a team want to, wants to interview him for their uh, general manager job, he's already a GM, so he doesn't interview for that job. So at this point, interviews that he would have would be uh, a job where you're a president of baseball operations. I've always thought that they should... Um, and this doesn't just go for baseball, it goes for football, it goes for basketball. If if you're a general manager for an organization that has the structure of no president of baseball operations or no president of basketball operations, whatever sport it is, doesn't matter. If you're in an organization that does not have a president of operations and you're a general manager, that is very different than if you are a general manager where there is a president of said sport operations. So like in some sports where you can you're always guaranteed to be allowed to interview for a job that is higher than the job that you are currently in i always feel like sports should designate that you know not every general manager is created equal if you're a general manager that reports to a president of operations and a team that doesn't have a president of operations wants to hire you as their general manager that's not a lateral move that's clearly a step up uh but uh, there's the titles are the titles, and uh, if if a team wants to interview you to be a GM and you already are a GM, well, then you don't really get that opportunity or don't pursue that. But nonetheless, uh, Matt Arnold, clearly, clearly, clearly deserving of this title. Congratulations to him, and congratulations to the Brewers because uh, he is an asset. He is somebody that is a, a very, very good member of this front office that has helped make a lot of good decisions, and now he's got the opportunity to uh, continue to do that moving forward. The other thing I wanted to get to, and we'll talk a lot more about this with Kyle Loebner in just a few moments, uh, the Brewers made the move to uh, place three players on the 40-man roster, therefore uh, making them unavailable to be picked in the Rule 5 draft by another organization. Catcher Mario Feliciano and then pitchers Alec Bettinger and Dylan File are the three players who were protected. Uh, The biggest surprise probably was catcher Peyton Henry. He did not uh, get selected for a long time. Uh, Feliciano and Henry have been looked at as the catching tandem of the future. And He's got a guy. He's he's a guy whose skills can certainly play. Some skills can play at the major league level right now. It would not be a shock to see him selected by another team in the Rule Five draft and being given an opportunity to kind of have on-the-job training at the major league level. So this could turn into a blessing for Henry if he doesn't get selected. He stays in the organization, and that's a big blessing for the Brewers. Zach Brown, Lucas Ersig, Pablo Abreu, other top 30 prospects in the organization who were not protected and therefore could get picked in the Rule Five draft. Rule Five draft will be interesting this year. 
because this is a year where teams are not wanting to spend money. So if you can go pluck a guy in the Rule 5 draft as opposed to signing a free agent because you'll just place that individual onto your major league roster, uh, you could see a lot of teams doing that. It's kind of a – I'm curious how it's going to work out because in some ways, for the exact reasons that I just mentioned, it's a inexpensive way to fill a roster spot. In other ways, from a scouting standpoint – most of these players who uh, – all these players who are not protected don't have major league time, right? So they weren't – and there was no minor league season last year. So teams and scouting you – know, you're going off scouting reports that are over a year old except for the very limited information that was coming in from the alternate training sites across baseball. And uh, Some of the major league teams were sharing some of the information from the alternate training sites. Some weren't, if I remember correctly. The Brewers were one of the teams that chose not to share information uh, with other with other teams coming out, uh, the data from, come from the alternate training site. Uh, but, yeah, that, so I, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know if more players are going to get selected in the Rule 5 draft this year because it's an inexpensive way to fill a roster spot or if less players are going to be selected this year because the scouting reports on these guys are over a year old. I don't know. I, I kind of lean towards uh, the first option just because I think finances will largely dictate most, if not many, of the decisions that are being made uh, across baseball this offseason. All right, so uh, let's get to it. Our featured conversation this week is with Kyle Loebner. A lot to talk about with him. Of course, uh, you can read it, Kyle, on the Timber Rattlers website, Shepherd Express, Milwaukee Record. you got to check out his uh, This Day in Baseball Patreon as well. Let's get to this week's conversation with Kyle Loebner. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Yeah, very happy to welcome onto the podcast our featured guest this week. He is Kyle Loebner. You can follow him on Twitter at ByKyleLoebner. Uh, you can uh, read him contributing to the Timber Rattlers website, also at the Shepherd Express and the Milwaukee Record. Kyle, it's always good to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm all right. Um, wanted to have you on for a few. I, I enjoy talking to you. That's the uh, first thing. But uh, a few reasons to have you on this week. And uh, want to start. There's new. There's not a whole lot of news coming out of uh, out of the Brewers. Although a little bit more news this week with the organizational structure change. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But uh, want to start with the guys that they select uh, or they protect by putting on the 40-man roster and make sure cannot get selected in the Rule Five draft. You're so connected with the Timber Rattlers uh, and have such a good idea of what's going on throughout the uh, the minor league system. Anything jump out to you about uh, Mario Feliciano, Alec Bettinger, and also Dylan File being the three players that they made the decision to put onto the 40-man roster? You know, this decision is always interesting uh, when it comes around in the fall because there's so many dynamics that go into deciding who to protect and not protect. And so... Yeah, you can always kind of, you know, glean a little bit about what kind of winter teams are thinking they might have. Um, you can glean a little bit about, you know, which guys in the organization they think other teams might really like. Um, and Mario Feliciano is a guy who has been, um, you know, kind of quietly um, a pretty well-regarded prospect for some time now, a guy who does a lot of things well. Um, he is still, uh, because he didn't have a ton of catching experience as an amateur, He's a guy who's still learning a little bit behind the plate. He's a guy who has lost some time due to injury. 
but there's just a ton of upside here. Uh, this is a guy who could be a plus offensive catcher um, and still credible defensively back there. And so I think, you know, to see the Brewers protect a guy like him, um, I had speculated about a week ago that this might be a year when a lot of Rule 5 picks get taken across the game because if it's going to be a relatively quiet winner for a bunch of teams, then there's an incentive for them to gamble on a guy like Feliciano. Um, and a guy like Feliciano is a, a perfect example of a player that might get taken in a situation like that because if there's room on a roster to hide him, this is a guy with a lot of tools, a lot of ability, um, and a, a decent chance that he really puts it together and has a nice run. Um, and then the two pitchers are a, a pair of really great stories. Um, all three of these guys are guys that I covered for at least a full season as Timber Rattlers. Uh, but File and Bettinger were both um, you know, kind of, I want to say non-traditional prospects. They were late-round draft picks. They were collegiate pitchers. They were experienced guys. Um, and, you know, having covered the minors for years, you see a lot of guys like that come through. Um, you know, they're, they're picked, they fill out minor league rosters, but a lot of times there's not a ton of upside there. But these are two guys that have just been tremendously steady performers. Um, and for File, it's a, a case of a guy who really is a, a new style of pitching prospect. Um, he's a guy who doesn't throw spectacularly hard. And I think 10 years ago, you might have seen him get blown out of professional baseball relatively quickly because pitching coaches would have insisted that he needs to establish his fastball exclusively um, and he would have gotten hit pretty hard. But Dylan File does a thing well that we've just learned to look for in the last decade, which is that he gets tremendous spin on his pitch. Um, and so the, the spin rate revolution um, really created a different career trajectory for him um, and put him in a position where he was developed differently than he maybe would have been a decade ago. He's experienced a lot of success. And he's a guy that has a, a really good chance to at some point be uh, somebody who pitches a lot of innings at the big league level and a guy who's a pretty reliable starter. Um, and then Alec Bettinger, you know, just up to, all the way up the ladder, it's just a guy who has consistently been really good. Um, you know, there, there's not a, a single thing that jumps off the page with him, but he's a guy who very consistently gets outs. Um, he takes the ball every fifth day. He is durable, and he's a, a credible performer in that role, a, a lot like um, not that long ago Mike Fires in a very similar role. I want to go back to something you just said, and it's interesting to me because I keep going back to a, a Zoom call that Brandon Woodruff had this past year. I think I think it was right before the postseason, if I remember correctly, and he was being like he had some numbers, some some statistical analytical numbers that changed with him a little bit uh, as he kind of came out of his lull and, and spin rate and things like that were there. And he was asked about, you know, are these numbers that you are specifically looking at and are focusing on? And he basically, you kind of have to pick and choose. You can get lost in that data. You have to pick and choose what you look at because sometimes you you look at something and you try to work on it and, and it's kind of fool's gold. And sometimes you do something else and then the byproduct of whatever you did is to improve that area. So you mentioned spin rate and all this all this data is now available throughout all levels of, of baseball. So these guys know it. As you talk to guys, especially there uh, with the Timber Rattlers, so, so relatively young baseball players, how cognizant, how aware are they of, are they of those, those type of things, spin rate and everything else? And do, are they actively working on that stuff? What, what, we know what role it plays at the big league level. What role is it playing right now at the, at the low A level? At a player-to-player level, um, the, the variation is way across the spectrum. 
um, you know, from guys who are very cognizant and really want to know, you know, what teams are seeing here or what, you know, their coaches are seeing here, what the numbers say, um, you know, as much as between innings, during games, um, immediately after games, coming into the video room to ask questions, you know, there are guys that are extremely well informed on this. Um, and there are the exact opposite. There are guys who have zero interest in hearing about it. Uh, they, they don't, you know, internalize it. They don't make it part of their day at all. Um, but with that said, while that variation is huge among the players, I can tell you that for the coaches, it's a big part um, of evaluating these guys. It's a big part of the daily reports that get sent in on performances. And so while the, the players themselves may not be aware, or at least not all of them are, of a variation in their spin rate or you know some minor change that, that modifies that, uh, the coaches are very aware. Uh, and they, they definitely have guys you know working to do um, I don't know if necessarily working to improve spin rate is a thing that happens day to day, but if you've got a guy that spins the ball really well, um, I think there is definitely you know work being done to put guys in a position to emphasize that and experience success as a result of it. Four top 30 prospects were not protected. Zach Brown, Peyton Henry, Lucas Ersig, and Pablo Abreu. It seems like a lot of the focus was on Henry because we've been watching Feliciano and Henry kind of come up together and they were looked at as maybe the catching tandem of the future uh, but does anything strike you in terms of those four players not being protected you know last year at this time I wrote a piece specifically about Zach Brown um, I was really surprised that he was not protected last year um, I thought that he could really help a team um, this spring I wrote a piece about him because he was on the Brewers summer camp roster and I thought he was a guy that had a chance to make an impact this year um, I don't know why it hasn't happened, um, but we're probably at the point now where it's not tremendously surprising that he wasn't protected again. Um, and given that teams didn't go after him last year and Lucas Ersic's in the same boat, um, it's probably safe to assume that you know teams are, at the very least, it hasn't changed um, with very little public data about what they've done in the last year. Um, but Peyton Henry really did surprise me. And I think it might just be a bit of a roster crunch that the Brewers already have five catchers now on their 40-man roster with Feliciano um, that left them reluctant to bring Henry onto the roster. But Peyton Henry is a guy that, point blank, could help a big league team right now. Um, he is a very good offensive catcher. He's a very thoughtful um, player. He's a guy who's a very good defensive catcher also. Um, he is a, a student of the game behind the plate. He's a guy who handles the pitching staff really well. Um, Peyton Henry, pretty much from day one with the Timber Rattlers, has been a, a pretty clear guy with the potential to be a future big leaguer. Um, and so, you know, if we see it come to pass, the teams are more active in the Rule 5 draft than they've been in past years. And Peyton Henry is a guy that would make a lot of sense for somebody to take um, and stash on their roster as a second or third catcher, let him learn at the big league level and potentially reap the benefits for a long time. Uh, one last thing about the Timber Rattlers before we move on, and let me be clear, I'm not trying to get you to break any news. I just kind of want a, an indication here. We don't know like the future of minor league affiliates and, and who they're going to be with. Do, do, they, do you think the Timber Rattlers even know right now, or is this a, like what their future is going to be? Do they have an idea, or is this something that just everything is up in the air and not a whole lot of people know much of anything at this point? You know, I, I don't know anything specific, um, and it's not a, a good spot for me to speculate. Um, but I, I suspect there's a lot of folks around the game right now that are holding their breath a little bit. Um, I, I think 
Um, as recently as this summer, uh, we knew roughly, if Major League Baseball went forward with their plans, how many um, affiliation spots there were for next year. Um, and I think there were more teams who thought they had an affiliation spot for next year than there were affiliated spots available. Um, and so, you know, for, for just about everybody that's out there, um, even the teams that do have great relationships with their parent club, like the Timber Rattlers do, this is a nervous time. Yeah. Um, this is an or- I mean, we're talking about a lot of organizations that uh, financially are relying on getting back to playing baseball pretty soon after losing an entire season. Um, and now they're having a winter where we are still very uncertain. Um, and, you know, the, the best thing that happened this winter is something that didn't happen so far, um, because at the end of September, when the agreement between Major and Minor League Baseball expired, um, there was some speculation that Major League Baseball was just going to swoop in and basically eliminate Minor League Baseball and say, here's how it is now, um, and just take over. That didn't happen. Um, negotiations appear to be ongoing. Uh, we're still waiting on kind of final announcements for what next year is going to look like. Um, but there's a, a cause for optimism there in that the two sides continue to work together to preserve something that's been really great for all involved for a long time. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, I, I don't know that anybody knows for sure what's going on right now, and I'm sure that's led to a lot of sleepless nights across the sport. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting to watch and not interesting in a good way, and you just hope that – as many teams remain in existence as possible, and that means as many people uh, keep their jobs as possible. But uh, we we don't know what it's going to look like moving forward. All right, uh, let's switch gears. This past week, the team making the announcement that Matt Arnold has been promoted to general manager. David Stearns remains the president of baseball operations. He loses the GM title, but they even said as much in their media availability not nothing's changing really in the way that they're doing business they're just putting new titles on this and if nothing else it gives the team the opportunity to uh, if a team out there with a GM opening wants to talk with Matt Arnold I guess the team could potentially block that now uh, because he's got the GM title uh, with with the Brewers I think it's a whole lot of nothing it's a it's a nice uh, I, I'm happy Matt Arnold clearly deserves the title he's done great work uh but nothing has really changed in my eyes they're just kind of protecting themselves is that how you would view it yeah I think that's probably true I mean if we don't know and you know we never know what compensation packages look like for positions like this it's entirely possible that going you know well while it seems like a paper transaction to us it's a, a significant transaction for him um but with that said yeah this, this seems like um another example of what really amounts to title inflation across the game of baseball. Um, We're seeing more and more um, roles that would have been played by a general manager now identified as a president of baseball operations or one step up the ladder from that. Um, And we've seen some teams like that. Uh, This just happened with the Cubs, with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, where Jed Hoyer has the title of GM, but I think everyone still treats Theo Epstein as if he was in charge, or at least until he departed recently. Um, and so I, I don't know that there's a lot to make of this news, um, aside from the opportunity that it gives the Brewers, as you mentioned, to um, potentially block if a team comes in to interview him for their GM position. Um, but beyond that, yeah, it seems like kind of business as usual for the team, just with a, a new nameplate on somebody's desk. This offseason, we don't know what it's going to look like. I don't think people in baseball know what it's going to look like, and I'm, 
probably the the sooner of a working vaccine that's proven to be successful can uh, get to as many people as possible. That that maybe changes things, but we're just in this weird area. In fact, what you've been writing recently for the Shepherd Express is looking at the arbitration eligible players and, and the decisions that the Brewers are going to have. And I remember last year. I, last year, I remember going through the list of arbitration eligible guys, and I thought they were going to tender a vast majority of them and then they tendered barely any of them and at that point I kind of made the decision that I'm not going to make these predictions anymore because I have I have no clue what they're doing and then we get to this year where you really have no idea and there, there's going to just be so many non-tenders that come out on the market it's going to be there's so many guys are going to be out there what is your expectation in terms of the number of players the Brewers uh, might tender in, in that arbitration eligible area? Uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, there are givens out there. Uh, Brandon Woodruff is almost certainly going to get tendered. If someone like Brandon Woodruff doesn't get tendered, uh, then the story is going to be the economic crisis the game of baseball is facing. You know, that, that a guy like that can hit the open market. Uh, Josh Hader is going to get contracts. Um, and beyond those two, I don't know if there's a single player that I would consider a lock. Um, there are some that in other years would have been considered a lock. I mean, I, I think Orlando Arcia had a really nice season um, compared to his, his recent years at shortstop. He is still relatively inexpensive. Most years you would think the Brewers would want to bring him back and either you know, give him another look at the shortstop position or at the very least you know, maintain his trade value. Um, but on a year like this, with the economic situation being what it is, and with the number of players about to hit the free agent market um, that are out there, it's entirely possible that it might be just those two, just Woodruff and Hader, out of the ten um, that, that get tendered contracts. Um, and, and that would mean that the Brewers cut ties with a guy like Daniel Vogelbach, who was a really nice spark for them in September. You know, it's, it's entirely feasible uh, that guys like Ben Gamble, that would have been no-brainers to tender in previous years, all hit the open market uh, with the Brewers understanding that a bunch of players in similar situations from other teams are also about to hit the open market, and so they may be able to fill these roles in a similar way for less money. Is it also a situation where maybe David Stearns can go to the agents for these players and basically outline exactly what you just said and say, well, we'll avoid arbitration and we'll pay your client X amount of dollars or we're going to non-tender him, and he can enter this free agent market where there's just going to be a million guys out there. I think that's entirely possible, and we've seen that happen before. Uh, Jeremy Jeffers came back to the Brewers previously on a, a deal similar to that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think uh, the, the Brewers certainly have the opportunity to go out and reach out to players. Um, nobody wants to be a free agent this winter, um, especially if you are kind of a, a lower tier. Big, well, not I don't want to say a lower tier, but a guy who was in the you know two to four million range for next season in arbitration. Um, there's going to be a lot of those guys that hit the market, and some of them really aren't going to do well. Um, and so, I don't think anybody, any player or any agent, wants their clients in that situation right now. Uh, the the question is, you know, if you are an agent in that situation, how much less are you willing to expect or accept? You know, if you are, for example, representing Daniel Vogelbach, who is expected to make about a million and a half dollars next year, and the Brewers call and they offer, you know, how much less are you willing to accept, knowing that the league minimum is not that much less than what's already on the table? So it's going to be tough uh, for agents and players this winter. 
Um, there's a lot of teams that are looking to cut costs. There aren't very many that are seemingly looking to spend. And so the Brewers have a lot of leverage here. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's not always a lot of wiggle room for these players. Yeah, it's um, I, it's going to be fascinating to watch how this all plays out. Somebody like Omar Narvaez, I mean, his his track record says he should have been so much better than he was, but right. he wasn't, and it's going to take a few bucks to, to, to have him back. That's To me, that's the most interesting decision because – uh, you, you feel like he should return to the guy he was before he was a brewer, but at the same time, in a pandemic offseason, is that a gamble that the Brewers would be willing to take? Well, I think you know he's probably one of the guys that the Brewers approach and offer a, a deal that's less than what he would have gotten via arbitration and see what he says. Um, you know, Narvaez is one of a lot of players that were potentially hurt by just a short 2020 season. You know, we saw him have the, the effective equivalent of two bad months. Um, if those bad months had been April and May, there's a, a non-zero chance that at some point this clicks. Yeah. Um, and he has a, a few weeks where his hot bat carries the team, and now it's a different conversation about him this winter. Instead, those two bad months are all we talk about because they're entirety, the entirety of his sample size in Milwaukee. Uh, and so it's, it's really difficult to imagine the Brewers paying him I think he is the position player with the largest arbitration estimate. I mean, it's really hard to imagine the Brewers giving him that um, based on the performance that he had. But you're right. Um, based on his career track record, there is a strong possibility that if he hits the open market, he's going to be really good for somebody next year. Um, and if he is going to be really good, he would certainly fill a need with the Brewers. Take me through. Uh, you, you've you got a lot of things going on. Shepherd Express mentioned the Timber Idlers website. Uh, what the everything the Patreon. Just go through everything that you've got going on right now that uh, where people can find your work. Yeah, you can find me every Monday at Shepherd Express. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to look at the former Brewers on the Hall of Fame ballot this hmm. year. Uh, something we haven't touched on yet today. Uh, Latroy Hawkins is on the ballot for the first time, and so is Aramis Ramirez. Um, and I don't think either of them are real likely to be future Hall of Famers. Um, but I think it's worth taking another look at the, the careers that they had, um, some of the numbers they put up, and I think maybe a, a couple of runs that are more significant than people realize. Um, and you mentioned, you know, you can still find my stuff at TimberRadlers.com. We took a break there for the 2020 season, um, but I am hopeful that as things get closer to being back to normal in the months ahead, uh, we'll be able to, to get back to producing stuff there. But in the meantime, if you're looking to get to know players like Dylan File, or Mario Feliciano. I wrote a lot about them when they were with the Timber Rattlers, and all of that stuff is still archived on TimberRattlers.com. Um, and then if you go to Patreon.com slash Kyle Loebner, you can find Today in Brewers History. Um, I am continuing that through the winter, um, looking back every day at a historic event um, in the, the history of baseball in the state of Wisconsin, uh, not just the Brewers. So uh, Sunday, for example, was the anniversary of Pat Listash winning the Rookie of the Year Award in 1992. Um, through the winter, we'll be looking at you know birthdays, anniversaries of historic events, trades, transactions, uh, a lot of things that really kind of built baseball in the state of Wisconsin. So it's been a, a really fun project, and I hope people will check it out. Real quick, Latroy Hawkins, that's it's it's one of those things where I mean, he broke into the big leagues in '95. His final uh, appearance was in 2015. That's a really long career, so he's got some cumulative right. numbers that probably stand up with uh, with a number of Hall of Famers. Yeah, I mean, 
until until Hawkins' era, there really were only a handful of players who had appeared in a thousand major league games as a pitcher. Hawkins is one of them. Um, you know, he's a guy who didn't close a lot over the course of his career, so he doesn't end up in the conversation alongside the, the Trevor Hoffmans and the Mariano Riveras of the world. But he's a guy that was really good on a lot of teams across the years, um, was a part of some really good teams. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of excited to get the opportunity to, to go back and consider that once again, because I think um, Hawkins is a guy whose the totality of his career gets lost a little bit in the conversation about him because he was in so many places for a brief amount of time. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's interesting. I look forward to reading that uh, coming up. Uh, when it uh, when it publishes on Monday. All right, uh, Kyle, great stuff. Encourage people to uh, follow you on Twitter at uh, by Kyle Lovner, and uh, we'll do this again as the off season uh, continues. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Kyle Lovner joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and that is just about going to do it. Uh, just a reminder: this Thursday, Thanksgiving. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. So with that. We will not have a Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. So for those of you who tune in uh, each Thursday night from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, we will not be there this Thursday night uh, as uh, we take the day off for Thanksgiving. But we will be back the week after. And, of course, we will have another podcast next week. We will not take the weekend off to do the podcast. So with that, I will talk to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.